What are you doing? I found some black root. She loves it. Black root? I am the father of two children, and you never ever give a baby black root. Well, my mother raised us on black root. It's good for you. For tearing your chest, doesn't it, Dick? Her name is not Sticks. She's a Laura Dannon, the future empress of Tara's League. And the last thing she's got to want is a hairy chest. <laughs> did you see what he did? He stole our black root. I'll get some more. Don't worry about it. Hey there, enthusiasts. Welcome back to Hero Talk. I'm your host, Judge Greg. Joining me today, I have Jeff and Jen. Guys, how you doing? Hey. Good, thanks. How are you? Good. All right, for our film today, we are doing Willow, the 1988 fantasy classic starring Warwick Davis. As you know, Hero Talk is a spoiler podcast. Our general rule is that we will try to keep the spoilers limited to the movie at hand. But anything that's ever been officially released, be it TV movies or books is considered on the table and fair game so you've been warned all right so this movie again i i need to stop doing this i go back to these movies that i absolutely loved when i was younger (laughs) and now i'm watching them for hero talk and all i can do is sit there and point out and nitpick all the little things that don't work anymore (laughs) I, i did it I mean, this this wasn't a Batman Returns level of I didn't like it again, no. you know. This is more uh, along the lines of Equilibrium, where I, I can point out the things I don't like about it, but I, I still kind of have a positive takeaway from it. But I was really worried, because, you know, you roll into a 1988 film with th- so many digital effects, mm. I'm just, I'm worried that every other scene is going to be like the Ghostbusters demon dog that just stabs yeah. me in the eyes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And that didn't happen, so at least I have that to, to pull out of this and say, nothing stabbed me in the eyes like the demon dog. <laughs> I don't know. What did you guys think? Well, I, I might take it first just because I have some uh, history yeah. with it. I, I had pretty fond memories of this when I was a kid. I, I think uh, it was uh, one of the VHS releases that fall uh that uh, we we were kind of uh, expecting because I, I remember I remembered the marketing and the advertising and everything and you know it wasn't like there were many fantasy films and the fact that it was Lucasfilm obviously <laughs> yeah back back <laughs> when that was a nice thing up. yeah, yeah. <laughs> remember <laughs> when Lucasfilm kind of... meant it would be good <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah I, I I quite enjoyed it as a kid I remembered reading some comic adaptations of it as well that I that I'm assuming were tie-ins as well and. Um, getting excited for it that way but uh yeah i i thought it held up very well i'd never seen it on blu-ray before in fact i don't think i had seen it since i last saw it on tv with commercials which is not a good way to to see willow just in case you're wondering um but yeah the blu-ray was pretty good and yeah like you said for a movie that has a fair number of special effects they held up pretty well and even under the you know the lens that is uh, (laughs) blu-ray i I really only had one or two and i'm not going to include the blue screen stuff because right 1988 blue screen is what it is you're not going to get around you can do yeah Yeah. that's what you can do with blue screen from 88 and yes there was a mixture of giant size sets and things mixed in here and there with the small perspective stuff that they did as well i gotta respect that i'm talking about like actual moving effects on the screen I, i have to say i was i was pretty impressed and uh apparent having done some light reading about it uh it, it they, the film got quite a bit of kudos back in the day and they did a good job of uh making them pop on the blu-ray or, or at least not stand out in a negative way <laughs> right you're always so afraid that now that you're watching it on you know a 50 inch screen in high definition suddenly it's not quite going to be what it was the first time you saw it in your head but i uh yeah. i was very pleasantly surprised that even 
even the morphing scenes, which uh, are still just as good today and still look impressive. I mean, these these are the guys who basically invented morphing for cinema. Mm. So it's it's kind of nice that you can still look back and be like, yeah, and that's why they're the gold standard. Yeah. I'm curious to hear the, the perspective from someone as Jen who had never seen it previously, seeing it for the first time. Right, so, Jen, this was the first time for Hero Talk. You watched this movie in preparation just for, for my podcast. That was the first time you'd seen it? <laughs> yes, I had actually never even heard of it Okay, up until about a month ago. Many haven't. Wow. You know, I'm not surprised, actually. I've... It, yeah. it's, it's really weird to me because this movie was such a huge part of my, my, my childhood. I recorded it when it was on TV, commercials and all, and I wore out that VHS tape watching it over and over and over <laughs> again. And uh, then I got it on DVD, you know, some few years ago, and I'd watched it many times there. And then I think it had been about 10 years since I the last time I actually sat down to watch this movie. Uh, I still have memorized most everything in my head. There was a point in time when I had completely memorized the spells that the two witches are using against each other in, in the climax. Um, but yeah, I guess if you just didn't happen to be around in 1988 to see that wave of, of hype... Well, I was two. Yeah, I mean, so you, you wouldn't really have been picking up on it. It would have kind of gone no. over your head. Yeah, and if you if you weren't riding the wave of hype for this movie, it seems like you just wouldn't have known about it. No, and I actually really liked it a lot. I liked it more than I thought I was going to. When he had explained the story to me, I was kind of like, this is going to be a snooze fest. I don't know why, because I like a lot of fantasy and stuff like that. But mm. yeah, I liked it a lot. And I mean, I adore Val Kilmer. So anything he's in, automatically, I'm a lot more inclined to watch. And God, I loved him in this. Oh. I'll keep yeah. that in mind when you do so the Batman Forever good. hero talk. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I you know, I actually quite like Fel Kilmer in this too. Yeah. Oh, I think he's uh, I, I think he's uh, a scene stealer in in this uh he, he's pretty pitch perfect really. And he can rock a dress as well. He can. Which and not, yeah. not every man can. He uh, he turned that dress into pants rather yeah. suitingly as he played mm. uh, I should say who he played he played Mad Mod again in this movie. Yeah. I will say every character's name the way that Rizal did. So just as a as a goat, as a goat, Met Mod Willow. Yeah, <laughs> I love the gag yeah. that Rizal keeps changing animals in this. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, she's like a what was she the first? Was it a possum? Is that what she was supposed to be? Yeah, it, it actually it looks like an Australian possum. Ha- having encountered them in the wild, i.e., suburbs of yeah. Australia, I, I, that, that does look pretty much exactly like right. an Australian possum. I will say though, as long as you know it's hero talk and I'm nitpicking, it makes absolutely no sense when you know the the evil armies are there to to take Willow and 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 Mad Mardigan and the baby. First of all, I don't know why they're taking Mad Mardigan and Willow. It seems like they just need the baby. Like, let's take the people who can stop us with us. Like, no, why don't you just kill them and then leave? I, d- I don't understand why they took Rizelle. Like, it, they didn't know who she was. Mm. They're like, oh, and we're taking this muskrat, too. <laughs> <laughs> Just because we're evil, girl. And, and we have a purpose-built cage. Yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> on the back it. of our cart. Oh, oh, man. Anyway, so we're I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But I, I was quite a fan of this cast. Some of these names, like, I, you really have to look to see what they've done. Like, for Warwick Davis, as popular as he is and how so many people know him, He's not in a whole lot. No. No, I mean, you look at his IMDb page, and he's like, he's made appearances in all kinds of shows that I have never seen in my entire life. But uh, he's just, he's not in too terribly much that's that's really mainstream. Bearing in mind that I've never actually seen Harry Potter, and I hear tell he played somebody in those movies, so... Uh, yeah, Jen, yep. you, you'll remember, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, You you know the person we're talking about here oh, right gosh. the professor something i suppose or split something i'm sorry <laughs> yeah 
Slit, slit something. Yeah, so, I absolutely adore Harry Potter, but yeah, I forgot his character's name. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean that's. I basically, I, I kind of think of him like first he was a an Ewok. In my head, I want to say he was Wicket, but it wasn't he ever was. named in the movie. And I think he was Wicket. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he was Wicked, because then he he did uh, a couple of those spinoffs, if you ever saw those. Uh, the, uh, there were the, these Ewok uh, made-for-TV movies. I don't like to admit having seen those, but yeah, yeah. I did. I've, and I, I'll admit, I had a, a stuffed Wicked toy when I was growing up. So I knew so I knew Wicked. I mean, I, I didn't really put two and two together till years later. They were the same dude. But I knew Wicked. I knew him in Willow. Uh, then he was the Leprechaun in uh, several of those movies. I don't know if he was... In all of them, like when he, I don't know if he was the rapping leprechaun or how many he was actually in. I just know he was a leprechaun in in them. Uh, he had a cameo in the Padre scene in the in uh, Phantom Menace. I had no idea who yeah. was he. Was he just some uh, guy? Who was he, on the... he? He's just a little guy in the audience laughing along with uh, with Weight Watchers Java. He's just, he just happens to be there. He doesn't. I don't think he speaks. I, I think he might cheer at one point, but. Yeah, if you if you slow it down, you can see him. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I was I was just very impressed with Warwick Davis in this movie. I think he was only eighteen when he was doing yeah. Willow. Yeah. Um, I was interested, and I haven't looked it up, and I I almost don't want to because I don't want it to to ruin the magic. But how old was the woman who played his wife? I went to look that up, and it's grayed out. So oh. <laughs> I'm gonna. She don't I, want I, you to know that's well, what's going on. She doesn't have a she doesn't have a Wikipedia entry, and I'm too lazy to go looking for the IMDb. Cradle so. Robster. Yeah, but yeah. So I have to assume she was older than he was, though. I mean, she would have had to. I, now, I I don't know if this is really like a nice thing to say about the guy to be like, oh, I didn't know you were 18. You looked so much older than that. <laughs> <laughs> Because that, that feels wrong in some ways. However, I mean, I, what do you say? Like, he, he looked like he was in his early 30s. I mean, certainly, I don't know how Nelwyn's work with ages, but uh, he definitely looked like he was older and old enough to have a couple of kids. And Yeah, yeah and, I don't know. I mean, the old wizard, he could have been 111 but uh, oh, I was yeah. Billy Barty as that old wizard, the high old one. Yeah. Now, I actually, I best know Billy Barty for him playing, uh, I think it was... Wildor, oh. Masters of the Universe, the Dolph Lundgren He-Man movie. Yeah, is uh, it possible that he's in Wizard of Oz? Is that is that going too far back? <laughs> I mean, well, he's he's been around forever. He might have actually been in Wizard of Oz. Oh, I he told me he was. I, he I, like it. I heard somewhere that he was like the mayor or something. Um, I didn't like him. Maybe, like as yeah. soon as he started speaking, I thought, oh my god, yeah, it is him. So I don't know. I want to say it is. Yeah. And I immediately, I don't know why I never made this connection as a kid, because I like both movies, but I think I never really, I didn't truly appreciate Masters of the Universe until I was an adult and kind of could appreciate it for what it was. Oh, yeah. So as an adult, Greg, I know him much better as as uh, Gwildor. Oh, okay. So his his voice really struck me there. But um, we have another famous little person who was in this movie. Uh, we have a uh, a Seinfeld alumni. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mickey. Yeah. And uh, also the guy who's in Bad Santa, whose name escapes me. Um, I thought I had it here, but yeah. Oh, the... Tony Cox. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Tony Cox, Bad Santa, and oh, the Jim Carrey movie, Me, Myself, and Eileen. He was in that too. Yeah, he huh. was in that. He played. Uh, he was the uh, limo driver. Oh. Jim Carrey's wife left him for at the right. very beginning of the movie. Right. And uh, I still can't find that name, but yeah, I know the guy you're talking about. Danny Woodburn, by the way. Mickey from uh, Danny okay. Woodburn, Mickey from Silent. Yeah, but they uh, they had some, like, 200 extras for the Nelwyn Village scenes. Uh, yeah. 
and and so of of all of them, I think only only maybe four or five of them were actual real actors with you know agents and and did castings, and I think all the rest was just probably an open casting call. Yeah. Um, I was I was surprised. I guess it'd been a long time since I'd seen this movie. Just how much of the movie was actually set in the Nelwyn village? It seemed like it took him about a good half hour to get out of there. Yeah, I <laughs> I didn't remember that there was this like buildup of him not wanting anyone to find out, and then f- after the attack, deciding yeah you gotta go to the count like <laughs> that. That you're right. That that took quite a lot longer than I thought it would, and it wasn't slow. It just it and the sort and if you include the scenes where they're on their own on their quest, the yeah. you're right. It is a fair portion of the movie. I mean, when does Val Kilmer actually appear on screen? Is it forty minutes? <laughs> yeah, it was about forty minutes in. He shows up and he's uh he's mad mad Mardigan sitting in his cage. They never did say what he's in there for. No, I mean they they imply that he's a thief, but. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, th- I, at one point, I thought he was probably imprisoned for crimes against dental hygiene or something because you, you'll notice yeah. the first time he speaks, the first couple mm-hmm. times he speaks, his teeth are all blackened. Yeah. Well, fortunately, <laughs> he, sees- he sees a dentist sometime yeah. when, when he's at the tavern, which yeah. also has people living there. I didn't understand that that scene a whole yeah. lot. Like, it, it's definitely there's a tavern and a bar and there's people there and Willow goes looking for for milk in a bar in a bar, you, but then like he do. falls through a wall and then it sees in somebody's house. Right? Because then, like, oh, my husband's home. Like, home? You're, this is a bar. <laughs> moving on. Moving on with the cast before we, we, we get too deep into why Mad Mardigan was at a house <laughs> at a bar in a dress. <laughs> why not? Val Kilmer's a good sport. Uh, Joanne Wally played Sorsha in, in mm. this movie. I felt Sorsha got sort of um, underdeveloped. They cut this yeah. whole side story about her where she's looking for her father. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, it just it just made it. Like, she had less going for her. Like, it really just felt like... So, without that scene, it's like, I'm bad. I'm bad. Oh, I kind of like Mad Mardigan because he's saying sweet things to me. Now I'm bad again. Now I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And everyone just kind of takes that at face value. And nobody says anything like, um, isn't she the person who was was trying to kill us, like, just 15 minutes ago? Yeah. It's quite a sharp turn. <laughs> it, it really is. And without... You know, without meeting her father and without, like, that that transformation, it just, it, it really, it was kind of abrupt. And yeah. for those keeping track at home, her father was uh, supposed to be the king of, of Tiras Lean. Yeah. And at one point, she had a conversation with him when he was encased in a blue crystal, I think. Yeah. Uh, we never get to find out why he uh, chose such a, a bad wife. Um, yeah. Or, or <laughs> well. I mean, extraordinarily bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> really. That's... Have mommy I, issues. She, of course, uh, for the listeners who aren't aware of this, she became Joanne Wally Kilmer after the, this movie. Yeah, they they got married. They, they hit uh, it off just just after the filming stopped. Uh, I think even before it was released, actually, between mm-hmm. the ending of filming and when it was released, they got married. Yeah. I uh, I don't actually know how long they were married, but I'm going to just go ahead and assume it was for like 20 minutes. Uh, no, it was it was into the 90s. Um, they were actually in a couple of movies together, although they were in a movie together recently, apparently, which I found <laughs> hilarious. Uh, they had a few kids together. I think she may have even taken a few years off to, to have kids and stuff. So they were they, they were together a little while. I mean, um, oh, well, no kidding. Uh, I mean, she eventually dropped the Kilmer from her credits. <laughs> as yeah. You expect. Um, yeah. When he told me that she ended up marrying Val Kilmer, I just kind of wanted to be like, "Well, duh." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, she so could have cool married Warwick Davis. You don't know. 
it's even more humorous when you watch the, oh god when you watch the special credits and you see that brief scene where Kilmer is talking about you know stumbling with the lines and that love scene and yeah. him worrying that it was a personality issue and then six months later they yeah, might have been kidding. married like come on I was I was a fan of that love scene even even as a kid I understood that it was just kind of ridiculous yeah the sudden change but and also one of my favorite lines of the movie is I don't love her she kicked me in the face. <laughs> And it's it's funny, uh, Kilmer didn't get to ne- do nearly enough uh, comedic roles, and I, this isn't a purely comedic role, but certainly there's a lot of uh, fun-lovingness yeah. to the character. But uh, nope. people that haven't seen the film Top Secret don't appreciate that he actually can do comedy rather well, um, and that I th- I'm pretty sure the Top Secret precedes this movie by a year. Um, yeah, I mean, it's he's just he's so known for Iceman yeah. from Top Gun. <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit that I have really no idea who Jean Marsh is, but reading into her her background, she's the real deal. <laughs> like, yeah. she's got some real uh, uh, chops apparently, and she was made in uh, she was in the put in the order of the British Empire a few years ago. So yeah, she's still around apparently. Yeah, she is. She's still still doing stuff. And uh, I don't have any background on Patricia Hayes as Finn Rizel. I've never never seen her before since, but she uh, she did a pretty good job anyway. Yeah. Um, I liked Finn Rizel in terms of, you know, I've said it before as the animal that kept changing, but she was <laughs> very antagonistic to Willow and Mad Mardigan for like, you know, this way yeah. you fools. Like, all right, hang on. They've been riding horses for what I have to believe is overnight <laughs> nonstop because a Mad Mardigan and Sorsha had this conversation about the things you said last night. I'm like, well, that was during the day. And it's during the day now, so that means you guys have just been riding nonstop since since that whole encounter. Why don't you cut them a little break there, Finn Rizel? Some people don't have wings. And she's like, oh, as the crow flies. Like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> also, and I thought this was kind of funny, for as allegedly hard to find and as mythical as Tiris Lean is supposed to be, it's actually less than a day's ride from Tiris Lean to Queen Bevmorda's castle. Yeah, convenient, huh? <laughs> yeah. Was it, was it just... Do people just not like to explore in this universe? Is that what's going on? Because yeah. it seems like people would have would have found it before now. Yeah. I, I can only wonder where uh, the the other kingdom, whatever it was called, starts with a G. Is <laughs> it's probably just over the next hill or something? Oh, the one they destroyed at the very beginning yeah. of the movie. Yeah. yeah, it was probably just next door. By the way, before we get off the cast, as one final, uh, well, I'm sure it won't be the last. Galadorn, by the way. Galadorn. Uh, yeah. When I, I don't know why, but. I'm familiar with Kevin Pollock, obviously, uh, mm. as as one of the brownies. I when I started seeing this again, despite the fact that I've seen it ten times before, for a minute I thought the other guy was Tim Robbins. No, <laughs> no, Rick Overton was the other brownie. I uh, I have always disliked the brownies. Yeah, it's uh, I was not a fan of them the first time I saw it. I was not a fan of them any subsequent time. And when I rewatched it very recently so for this podcast, I was also still not a fan of the brownies. Is it the is it the French accent? Is that what it is? It was. It's a lot of it is the French accent, and the the bickering for absolutely no good reason. And why are they carrying around the dust of broken heart? <laughs> just just cause. Just yeah. just because just to set up some. I mean, I guess I would prefer that be the reason Mad Mardigan and the Sorcia get together than something more contrived. <laughs> like, if, if we're going to have it happen, it might as well just be some supernatural reason, because I, I don't I don't know what else would do it. But mm. and, and again, I did actually like the scenes when Mad Mardigan was under the, the spell, so yeah. I, I guess I did get some benefit from their appearance in the movie, but I just don't see why, why they were in it or why they were French. 
And I remember seeing some of those special features, and they they did them in character. Yeah, and I was they're even more annoying. Yeah, they're even more annoying <laughs> when they don't have a script. I I couldn't take yeah. it. You have to wonder why the uh, fairy princess puts up with them, but to each her own. Yeah. That, now that fairy princess special effect, uh, I was actually was really impressed with it. That still holds up today. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and like you read how they do it, and it's like they they had the actress in there, and they're you know the blowing the fans at her, and then they're slowing it down. So I guess she must have had to read her lines at a, at a fast speed, right? Um, Maria yeah. Holvo is yeah. uh, the the actress, and. Basically, they they show how they do it. They're shining all these lights on it, and then they're shooting it against a black background, and they can put her anywhere, and suddenly you have this this shot that I mean just works. All right, so I you know what we've we've talked about the cast enough. There's there are two key members of the production crew that we absolutely need to discuss: mm. executive producer George Lucas, director Ron Howard. Mm. In what I think was the third movie that they've they've been together in some form or another, if that's right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I and if if you mean American Graffiti, yes, Cocoon, and uh, Cocoon, yeah. yeah. Uh, if there's another one in there, I'm not aware of it, but yeah, yeah. Now I watched uh, a lot of the special features on the Blu-ray, which were all very good, by the way. And this Blu-ray, I've you can find it for super cheap out there. I got so, it for five bucks. I was I was very disappointed when George Lucas talks because I really wish that 1988 George Lucas could talk to maybe 2001 George Lucas yeah. and maybe some some terrible things could have been undone <laughs> or maybe what was it 1998 is that when the first episode one yeah uh, well, yeah I want yeah. 1988 George Lucas to to talk to to 1998 George Lucas because 1988 George Lucas seems like a phenomenal filmmaker a great story writer and an amazing producer and 1998 George Lucas likes to sip coffee behind a green screen set yeah he's collaborating he's out there he's yeah. uh he's inserting himself where he needs to and stepping back where he doesn't uh you know he he wrote the st- he he came up with a story idea. Someone else wrote it. It doesn't look like he um, micromanaged it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, it just helped set build the setting and you know the, get the underlining themes right and and let uh, Ron Howard do his uh, job. I mean, I th- there's a lot of things that you can nitpick Willow over, but the directing is not one of them. It's it's spot on. There's very few scenes where. You have to question how it was set up. I mean, they did a great job with this movie. Now, what I what I really liked about the movie is how it 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 took you from different set piece to set piece, and you know, even when they did have like these, I, I shouldn't say action scene. That's a little misleading because it's not like you know Jean Claude Van Damme and explosions and, <laughs> and the replacements or anything. But it it took you from from a, a high energy scene to high energy scene and it did so rather well i thought the pacing was great and not that i want to be hoity-toity film critic man talking about pacing and whatnot but yeah. i liked how it worked i did think mad mardigan really kind of once alora dannon was stolen from him and yeah i guess we could talk about alora dannon she's played by two babies i'm not going to say their names it was, <laughs> there were babies whatever they were twins right yeah it was twins heads. same thing yeah mm. um i do appreciate that baby in peril wasn't used too much throughout this movie like yeah. i get by the nature of it the baby needs to be in peril for some of it but i mean since the baby needs to be alive it's not like anyone's like i'm gonna kill the baby because you can't kill the baby that's that's not the point yeah she had to be banished to whatever place but the, the void the void <laughs> the area i don't know whatever but um i mean it, it sets up a scene and it gives willow a chance to, to be the hero one thing i didn't know is uh warwick davis actually learned sleight of hand for those tricks that that willow was doing in the uh in the Nelwood village. Uh, apparently yeah. he did more than they showed. 
Like there was there was more to his scene in the Nelwyn Village, and then there was also a cut scene uh, from Tyrus Lean where he was entertaining. Or I, I shouldn't say entertaining. That makes it seem a little less. He was distracting <laughs> a troll with some sleight of hand uh, magic tricks that uh, I thought. I mean, I agree why they were cut because yeah. you know it's a little lighthearted for <laughs> some well, really it, dark stuff happening around them. But yeah, it, it was like one move away from being a Stooges like boink between the eyes at the end there so I, it didn't really fit the tone but. that's how I wanted to end now that's how Ooh. I wanted that scene to go I actually quite like the trolls these guys were uh, acrobats in the troll costumes and I guess for a lot of this stuff they weren't using uh, they weren't using safety cables because there just wasn't the digital cable removal that they have now so a lot of these guys the acrobats in the troll costumes are sort of putting themselves at risk doing it I actually quite like the trolls and I think it's because I watched a lot of David the Gnome growing up. <laughs> and these trolls look a lot like the trolls from David the Gnome. So I was right on board with it. Whereas for people who maybe aren't so familiar with that mythology, these trolls wouldn't have really looked like trolls or been immediately recognizable as them. I, I was okay with the trolls. The, the, they, they did lead to my one sort of heh moment in the movie. And Jen, having seen it the first time, had the same sort of reaction. I could see it on her face when it happened. <laughs> Uh, when <laughs> apparently in the, uh, in, in the world of Willow, when you, uh, cast a spell on a troll and it drops into a body of water, uh, that creates a two headed dragon. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I don't really follow that logic. <laughs> well, for all you know, he accidentally cast the turn into a two headed dragon spell. <laughs> now it, it really occurs to me that if you don't actually know what you're doing with the magic wand, don't just say random words and point it at somebody. Yeah, because but, apparently he said create a giant. Yeah, create a giant two-headed dragon. dragon. Well, he couldn't use his acorn. Yeah, and it <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't even a proper looking dragon. It was like it was like a, a rancor leftover from. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. It was uh, <laughs> from the Return of the Jedi with it with a second head. It was and no arms. Just yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I I like the scene because otherwise otherwise it would have been really ridiculous that Mad Mardigan held off yeah. the entire army. So. Yeah. Yeah, Even though the a... army didn't seem all that big when they finally showed up at Tyr's Lane, it really f- felt like there was only maybe 30 guys there. Yeah, yeah. well, Sorsha was, you know, kind of asleep on the job, just being, you know, watching yeah. his manliness f- fling himself around the uh, the castle. And you so. know what? Who wasn't, quite frankly? <laughs> if, if we're being honest with ourselves here. If there wasn't a dragon, I don't really see how that scene was going to yeah. believably play out. So, hey, there, now there's a dragon. <laughs> so maybe Willow didn't mess up as much as you want him to think that he messed up. Yeah. Well, it, it was convenient for the plot. I just I don't know how you get from A to B, but <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. There was I mean there's a lot of that in in this movie. Like there's a lot of things where if somebody just made one different decision like if if Bav Morda's army wasn't so averse to killing the people in their way instead yeah. of taking them captive and and bringing them like what were you planning to do? With Willow and Mad Mardigan, once you got to the cat, you were just going to kill them anyway. You know you were. Why are you bringing them along so that something can happen? It just, it felt, it felt like there just wasn't enough planning. And I guess maybe these guys just really aren't evil people. Yeah, I do get the sense that, um, that Bav Morda is a bad influence on everybody. But for the most part, they're just being, you know, led by bad people. Now... One exception to that, of course, is Skeletor. I mean, General Krom. I mean, General Kale. Kale. I, I keep saying Krom, even though I know it's wrong, and yeah. I know that Krom is, like, the I think he's the warrior god in the Conan yes. or something, but uh, Kale doesn't... 
I think isn't kale a vegetable? It just doesn't kale sound is like a weird leafy thing. And he's wearing a skull of God knows what on it on his head, and yeah. uh, he's got a beard that looks like the cow catcher on an old locomotive as well underneath there. Yeah. it's it's pretty out there. However, I do have to say that eight year old Greg loved General Kale. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was awesome. I thought he was a great villain. I uh, I was a big fan of that final confrontation with Mad Mardigan and Kale right after he kills Eric. There was a crazy scene at one point where when General Kale reported that uh, Sorsha had defected, mm-hmm. and then Bev Morta smacks him. Yeah. And it just occurs to me, like, why why would you hit... How was that even almost his fault? <laughs> Did you want him to not tell you what happened? Is that what you're trying to, to tell him? Like, you're... I don't know. He was... It just seemed a little out of place. Speaking of out of place, I have to point this out, too. I'd completely forgotten about this scene. So the baby rolls up on the Nelwyn village, and Willow sees it, and his instinct is, just push it off and send it further down the river. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I... That's a, that's a child, yeah. you heartless peck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I know it was just a filthy daikini, and uh, yeah. what, a, what a weird term for a, a person of normal stature, by the way. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm actually kind of... I thought it would have been a little bit worse, though, if they'd played like, oh, well, the, the little people are Nelwins, and the regular people, they're they're just normal humans. That would have <laughs> that would have been a little offensive, I think. Normal people. <laughs> yeah. And it, it looks like... I mean, it only came up once where I think he referred... I think Val Kilmer of Mad Markin referred to um, Sorsha as uh, not Mar scum. I think yeah. I, I assume the humans in this world just refer to one another by their respective kingdom of origin and don't call one another daikinis. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, a daikini is just sort of they they know they're daikini, but they only would re- use it in like to try to differentiate it. themselves from fairies or brownies or nelwins. Yeah, <laughs> can only assume that Lucas just made up made that word up on the fly. I'm sure he could. He's the kind of guy who really can just do that sort of thing. That's where he, that's where he excels. That's where George Lucas is a is a good mm. creator because he can just make up a story like that. I'm sure if you ask George Lucas, he could just sit there and come up with some story of how the different races came to be and the relations with each other. I mean, that's that's his strength. Not George- not to de- not to derail us completely, but actually he did. He sat down with Chris Claremont. Uh-huh. <laughs> who, who you okay. may know is one of the key writers of the X-Men during the 90s, and yeah. they actually banged out a, uh, or he did, uh, with his guidance, a three-series, a three-book uh, novelization of uh, the, of that world set when Alora Dannon, spoilers, is a teenager. Uh, so yeah, he, he actually did get around to kind of fleshing the world out a little bit more. No. Uh, you don't have to give a spoiler warning on Hero <laughs> Talk. I do that whole thing at the beginning where I say we're a spoiler <laughs> podcast, you know. Yeah, yeah. Appar- apparently, uh, yeah, it's like 15 years in the future or something like that, yeah. and uh, and Willow is still alive and all that stuff. So yeah, as- apparently they did flesh it out a bit. Yeah. As long as we're talking about uh, Alora Dannon, now the whole point here wasn't that Alora Dannon was like she was supposed to defeat Bav Morda and end her evil reign, hmm. but uh, it seemed like she fulfilled that prophecy when she was still like nine months old. Yeah, <laughs> because she was still an infant and Bav Morda like shocked herself and destroyed herself and really all she needed was was yeah. willow to, d- to yeah. do with the disappearing pig trick yeah he had the power all along kid the child just showed yeah. him the way it's funny he says it's his old disappearing pig trick but it's it's a little different because instead of you know trying to use sleight of hand I, it, he actually used magic to make her transport somewhere else mm-hmm. i guess i guess his its confidence sold it because you think bav Morda would be able to sense that the girl was still around but yeah. She immediately assumed that once he did the spell and she disappeared, like, oh, well, she's obviously not still in this room. He actually sent her to the place that I firmly yeah. believe didn't exist 
10 seconds. Okay. A little silly. Uh, I didn't notice it when I was growing up, and I I still think it's kind of fun now, and it gives Willow his moment, because Mad Mardigan was owning the movie up until now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I I found it interesting that uh, they... They um they made it so that Mad Mardigan you know helped him get into the inner sanctum and then from then on he was kind of the well you you kind of thought Sorsha was going to be involved but really all she did was almost get impaled on the <laughs> yeah <laughs> on she the was wall she there. was really a big non factor in that final confrontation yeah. um and and quite frankly in the grand scheme of it so was Rizel I mean Rizel yeah. you know she has the uh, she has the magic wand so she's going to face off against Bavmorda and then. They have that that crazy sequence where they're just chanting at each other and things are going along and ah la 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 la, la which is hilarious to this day. <laughs> Jen, as a as a big Lord of the Rings fan, that uh, old lady on old lady fight scene. How do you think that stacks up to Saruman and and uh, and Gandalf in uh, in in Lord of the Rings? Uh, <laughs> kind of pitiful. <laughs> yeah, that was whoa, um. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. <laughs> it was it was more for comedic value than anything else, and yeah. you know when I'm a kid I'm okay with that, but as an as an adult watching the movie I kind of wish it was a little bit more epic in its scale rather than they all end up just kind of clambering over it old lady style and then they fall over and one of them gets knocked out and the other one isn't yep. and then so we get the 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 second acorn because there were three and one was cut so we only see two and it still doesn't work so we never actually get to see an acorn work. Like, it's Chekhov's gun, but it jams whenever you try to fire it. Yeah. So, at that point, why even establish the... I mean, I guess you have to, because you used them, but it has to at least work once for me to think that this is anything useful. Because right now, it looks like all Willow does with it is is either make boards on bridges into stone, or waste it on supreme sorcerers who can just undo the magic of it. Counterspell. Boom. Done. Yeah, we missed the whole scene with, uh, I think there was like a piranha monster that was in the lake... On his way back from the island, we got Rizel, and he used the he used it to turn him into stone and sink him. I actually, watched that scene, and it's a good thing they cut it because it just yeah. wasn't working. It's that kid is. <laughs> did, they, did they did they just like find the nearest creepy looking bald kid that they could and yeah, put prosthetic teeth in him and I guess like... the scene did not work at all. No, like just not at all. It's we, sometimes you watch a deleted scene and you think, oh, this really should have been in the movie, and sometimes you watch and you're like, no, good call. Good call. That was not working, and it wasn't. It looked. It was. It, it looked like a really cheap Jaws ripoff. And yeah. I, like I know they weren't trying to rip off Jaws, but that's just kind of what it looked like because it's just the thing was coming out of the water, but it was all lifeless and. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was a good call cutting that scene, but that was the only time. That was the the third acorn, and you would have actually yeah. seen it work, and it might have actually it might have actually made me respect the acorns a little bit more because they seem so worthless now. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, kind of an afterthought. Yeah, I I think there's there's this final scene that I want to talk about a, a little bit more uh, before we we move on to anything else. This this whole they're all gathered outside Bath Morda's castle and she turns everybody into pigs. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that was brutal. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a little hard to watch. Yeah. I mean, we get the yeah, great. It was painful to watch, and not not in the way that they may have. Yeah, been not in the way they made. It. It's not like I was. Like, oh, I'd hate to be them. It's I was thinking like, oh, I'd hate to be those actors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was a little awkward. I guess maybe I was more forgiving of it when I was younger, but mm-hmm. just... which would yeah, always be the case. Yeah, it was just it was so just weird and yeah. almost <laughs> arbitrary, and then 
Val so, Kilmer pig comes to me in my nightmares sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish that they had just had like a flash and then just like like a bright flash and then there's just a bunch of piggies. Yeah. Squealing around. That would have been better. Did you just like you, slow torture, gr- grotesque? <laughs> yeah. Not good. No. Did you notice that like when the brownies became pigs, they were actually significantly bigger yeah. by proportion <laughs> than they were yeah. when they were brownies? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like why go out of your way to show me the two smaller pigs, which are obviously supposed to be the brownies, and have them just be baby pigs where I can look and, and clearly see those are just baby pigs. That's that's not <laughs> they're not actually relative in size You're not to the brownies. <laughs> I see through your ruse, George Lucas. Yeah, I uh, I didn't care for the makeup. <laughs> no, I didn't care I, for the not at all. Was, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it it, it it's hard to, to be too mad at it because it leads right into the the morphing scene, which I love, and it was it, I it was a very powerful scene. But then I I in the course of the evening, then so Rizel turns all the people back into heroes. And then there's this one part when they're going over the plan. Does this make sense to you? Like, it seems like two of those guys were, like, sneaking around the camp to get into the tent. Like, it's your camp, guys. You can just walk in like normal people. You don't have to sneak. <laughs> I don't I don't see why you were being all mysterious about it. And Like, you don't want them to know that you're there. They can tell you're there because all the pigs are slowly going away and there's a light on in a tent. You'd think that Sorsha would have had a spare set of keys that would have come in handy at some point or there, no, but don't don't they always know of some back entrance in? Is that or Sorsha? Is she just she's just complacent? So they, they always just open the door for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, so they they do this first. I I really hate when this happens in movies when the when Willow has the plan. He's like in my in my town where he had gophers. And he's like, why don't you just say what the plan is instead of trying to tell this story that's just going to confuse everybody who's there? Like nobody wants to hear about the gophers. They want to know what your plan is. When you say you have a plan, just say what if we were to dig holes and hide in them? You're only you're you're talking in this mysterious riddle form just for the sake of the audience at this point, so that we don't know what your plan is, even though we could figure it out because. I'm not eight years old anymore. I know where you're going with it when you say we had gophers. I I have to wonder whether a a younger version of me thought, so in your town, you dig holes, hide in in them with tarps, and when the (laughs) gophers come by, you jump out and murder them. Is that that what the plan is? I wonder if the gophers just attack the Nelwins all the time from the holes (laughs) underground, if that's what's going on. Yeah. Well, if they're anything like the Death Dogs in this world, maybe the Gophers oh, in uh, in the this death world dogs. are savage. Yeah. No, the Death Dogs, they were what? They were Rottweilers, right? Just Rottweilers wearing costumes? I guess. For... <laughs> they they, I... they were, had powerful shoulders, whatever they were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were basically, they, they I know they had like these, these puppet suits, but they trained two actual literal dogs to wear them, which is why you only ever see two war dogs together at, at a given point in time, because <laughs> they, only, they only had the two. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so they dig, and this is this is what really gets me, and this is this is what happens when adult Greg watches a movie, and I have to look at it with my critical hero talk eye. Is Uh-oh. first of all, it takes a long time to dig those holes, and where did you put all the dirt that no one would notice? Hmm. Like I I imagine that those those archers and the guards were there watching the whole time. Yeah, and so you're, you're very trying to very subvertly dig these giant holes, hide the dirt somewhere so nobody knows you dug these giant holes. All while people are watching you do this work, and it's it seemed like more than a night's worth of work, quite frankly. Uh, Andy Dufresne had many trips to the exercise yard to yeah. get where, rid of Where were the, the exercise uh, the yards here? I didn't see any exercise yards. <laughs> get rid of the proceeds of his digging, and where, I didn't see a single mound of earth. Yeah. And so, uh, I'm like, now here's the, the other funny thing. 
So Willow and and Rizel are out there and they're they're taunting these guys and like, "Oh, you better surrender." And and Kale, I think it was Kale, right? He's the one who gave the order to kill them? Yeah. You understand yeah. that if you just don't give that order, if you just be like, "Whatever," Um, we're just going to ignore you. <laughs> the movie's the, the movie's all, basically. basically done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like maybe if you weren't such a jerk about it, it's it's almost like Kale was signed, like finally sick of like you know what I'm sick of letting these people live every time. Yeah. I'm so tired of it. They just came back and they taunt us. So he finally decides that he's gonna he's gonna kill them, and then it, it totally comes back and he bites him in the face. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So ridiculous plan. I mean, even so, so they finally do get inside. What, do all of them get inside before anyone can raise the drawbridge? Like, yeah. You know, especially when the guys turn around like, uh-oh, we better go back to the castle, and the drawbridge guy is almost like, we got to wait for them to get in. Like, no. At that point, you decide, well, that's a shame. We lost those six guys, but yeah, we better not thing. screw up this, this ritual thing, or we're going to be in real trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of I I've I'm not hundred percent sure about this, but I read somewhere that in the novelization they make it a bit more clear that because Bav Morda has got her armies out searching for the child everywhere, she has less people available to guard the castle. Hmm. Uh, which that would might make have sense. Which would make sense <laughs> considering how obsessed she was with it. But yeah, uh, yeah. they do get in rather easily <laughs> for yeah. for what we see. I, I I thought so. I mean, I like the fight scene after that, and like I said, I like I like the Kale Eric, and then leading into Mad Mardigan and Kale. Uh, even though Mad Bardigan ends up like rushing in at the final scene, it's like everything's already done. Am I the only one who found that a really brutal death? The way he stepped in the sword, got it up at an angle, and just I <laughs> loved it. On it. I oh. absolutely loved it, and the sound it made. Oh, <laughs> like they were. I mean, it sounded as as painful and as gruesome as it probably should have, <laughs> and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Well, he went. He went down. His character yeah. deserved a good death. Yeah, <laughs> I think. that's. What I thought it was a great send off for the character. Like you definitely, you definitely gave him a death that that really showed you how how tough and how you know bad of a guy this he he really was. He was, mm-hmm. you know, he he wasn't just going to take that one shot and be done. He, yeah. he 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 fought to the bitter end. So. Did he get his helmet split mostly in half at one point? Bad uh, Bardigan did this like twisting, uh, spinning hit to the face with his sword, and yeah, it, like shattered half the helmet on him. Why isn't there more Willow cosplay? I've always wondered that. I don't you never know. see you see any Mad Mardigans or Sorsha's at you never uh, see Mad Comic-Con Mardigans or Sorsha's. I I should do that. I should dress as Sorsha <laughs> for the next Comic Con. You really should with the, with the Mongol helmet. Yeah, with the Mongol helmet and and get a red wig, arrows, <laughs> and and all kinds of arrows and stuff. I think I think I could pull it off. I don't know. I think I think Joanne Wally would would be appreciative of it. I don't even see like Joanne Wally or or anybody or Gene Marshall to be like when you when you know at the Comic Con you see the these stars of yesteryear's classics yeah. trying to sell their signature for twenty bucks. I'm looking at you, Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> I don't. I you never see anyone from Willow. I mean, even even some of the folks from Firefly still play that game. It's just not enough of a cult film. I mean, it's I, I'd say it's even second fiddle to Labyrinth. Uh, no, you take term, that back. Term. You take that no, back. No, well, I, I just in terms of I mean Uh-oh. in terms of wider popularity. Like I I like Labyrinth for completely different reasons. I I I think despite the fact they're both fantasy films, they share little else in common, apart from the you know uh, creatures and things like that. But uh, it La- Labyrinth seems to have a lot more pe- people who look back on it as like one of those um, 
you know, nostalgia films. Whereas I, I don't know that Willow really falls into that category. At least I never, I never yeah. see it held up like that. I, I heard that there was a, a fake tweet about a Willow too that was a result of that Ricky Gervais series Life's Too Short that he did with Warwick Davis. Right. I, I think that uh, Val Kilmer actually went on and they fake tweeted like a Willow Two question mark something, <laughs> and it was really just to pimp his appearance yeah. on the show. Oh, um, I would watch that movie. Oh, I. Would, uh... I mean, I, I heard they were thinking about it at the time, and then it just never happened. I guess the first Willow, I mean, it didn't do bad. It made money. I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't make a ton of money in the United States, and I don't know what the worldwide sales were, but, I mean, it made its money back, and then some. Yeah. So, you know, made $12 million in, in profit in 1988, so that's not, that's not if, terrible. If they can bring back Tron... They can bring back exactly. If they can bring back Tron of all movies, I think Willow. If if there was going to be a sequel, though, we've we've seen that window close now because Warwick Davis yes. is not a young man anymore, no. and Val Kilmer is certainly not in leading man shape the way he used to be. be I haven't fast. seen Joanne Wally in a while. I don't know how she she probably looks exactly the same. She's looking pretty good. <laughs> I, I am. All right. So maybe <laughs> I, we I have a Sorsha up. film. Sorsha <laughs> and. Young Alora Dan, and one of them must still be acting, right? <laughs> oh, maybe both the twins are acting. Yeah, maybe, maybe they both are. Evil twin story. Everyone loves those. Kevin Pollock could probably pull off uh, yeah. <laughs> Brownie easily. Yeah, probably still could. Just, uh, see if he can fit the yeah. mouse hat on. and. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it, quite frankly, but I just I just don't see it happening at this point. And I, George Lucas, I think at one, at one stage, I, and I don't know how serious he was because it's George Lucas and it was when he was in his crazy years, which is from like 2000, from 1995 to present. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said something to Warwick Davis about like, yeah, we, I'm thinking about doing a Willow too, but you won't be in it, which is odd because, because uh, he's Willow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh yeah. I don't know. I, I heard something about it. It was uh with Warwick Davis was doing a lot of uh, press tours when he was trying to, uh, to uh, sell his book uh, called size matters. Not is the name of the book. All right, so I think I think we're now I think we're safely into the time on Hero Talk where we can we can talk a little bit of what what our favorite parts of the movie were. And so uh, Jen, since this is the first time you've seen it, we're going to start with you as somebody who did not see this in her youth and is now as an adult seeing Willow for the first time. What was your favorite part of this movie? Oh gosh, it's it's really tough, but I'd say pretty much the more action scenes with Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, because. He, I've never seen him in a role that was so out there. He was so funny. He was so cool. He was so good when he was fighting. I just loved watching him, like Jeff was saying earlier, like just steal. I think it was him. Sorry. Uh, just stealing scenes. Yeah. Like he just, he stood out so much and I just couldn't help but just smile. I loved that character so much. So honestly, those scenes stand out the most to me but i can't really good. name one yeah he does Very make good. an ugly woman though i'm gonna have to take that away from him yeah no I, I understand what you're saying and i i you know i do like even even when he was dressed up in the in the drag and then but then i mean you get you you go from that scene right into that that chase scene that i quite liked even yeah. though i had a little too much brownie for my taste but you know, Seriously. You know, it did. but i mean it was at least fun and it was i i kind of like the i like the willow mad mardigan relationship me yeah. too and how it progressed. Yeah, I mean, it really started with, like, Willow, it was, he, he doesn't like him, he's this dirty daikini we found in a cage, <laughs> and uh, then eventually, I mean, it gets to this point where, especially right after that escape, he's like, I can't do this without this guy, like, he he really saved us back there, and despite how much I want to be angry at him for doing this, and, 
Yeah. And then oh. there's that awesome scene with the black root, which <laughs> I, I still think <laughs> is hilarious. <laughs> you never give a baby black root. Like, I was raised on black I was root. raised on <laughs> <laughs> Not to interrupt, but you just reminded me of one of my most, like, awe moments of the whole movie. Okay. When they're walking, and Willow, and they're like, well, they're being forced to walk, and Willow kind of stumbles, and he just, like, swoops yeah. down and oh, picks yeah, him up and puts him up, up yeah. on his shoulders. I thought that was so sweet. That was, I was a, you know what, for something that's only on screen for, like, a second or two, and is not really focused on a whole lot, I thought that was a powerful moment. Yeah. It totally was. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I, I like how Mad Mardigan, it, it, he really honestly seemed like he actually liked Delora Dannon. Like, even when he was yeah. just being the punk who had the baby stolen from him. Yeah. Uh, although, I really think he probably should have been chasing after the baby when it was stolen from him, but uh, I don't. <laughs> instead of drowning his sorrows. Yeah, instead of drowning his sorrows, chasing women around in in a an inn slash domicile. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it really seemed like he did like Alora Dan, and, and that's also why the Black Root scene really gets me. He looks at, do you see what he did? He stole our Black Root. Yeah, don't worry, I'll get you some more. I mean, that that part is just, he actually likes Alora Dan, and he, he's, he's not he's not cold-hearted. He, you know, he's putting on this front, like, I don't, you know, I don't need this guy, and I don't want to have to help this this Nelwyn. But and he he really develops kind of a, a, a kinship with him, even when he's mad that they went to Tiris Lean. <laughs> uh, so I was uh, I was uh, I was a huge fan of, of their relationship together, and I really I really feel like there should have been maybe more Warwick Davis Val Kilmer vehicles out there to be explored. Yeah. All right, so Jeff, now we're on to you. What was your favorite part of this movie? Pretty pretty much the entire sequence from when they make camp in the snow on the top of the mountain through the awkward <laughs> romance <laughs> scene, which is hilarious. Right through the sliding, which I you know. I shouldn't like that scene as much as I do, but it's just fun. Yeah. And the fact that he's still high on the dust and like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I mean, that was a fun scene. You had like, you know, I one of my favorite parts of that scene is, you know, they show the, the close up of the, the face shot. You know, Mad Mardigan yelling and then Willow <laughs> yelling. And then you got you got Laura Dan and just giggling away. She thinks it's the, the most yeah. fun thing ever. Yeah. Uh so I was right. I was a, I was a big fan of that scene. I yeah. Laura Dannon, as much as I'm like it's just a baby, whatever. But that baby has the most perfect faces. Yeah. Oh my they, god. They got She's in. got such a range. It's just that the look <laughs> that she gave when they first met Mad Mardigan was priceless. Yes. You know it was shoot it was so good that I was actually sitting there watching it with Jeff and his dad and aunt and his aunt was like. Is that computer generated? Her faces? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's nope. how... Nope. But that's how good those faces were, that she actually thought it was just computer. No, she was very good. Uh, still mm-hmm. not good enough for, for me to actually give credit to the actresses who played her. All right, fine. Ruth and Kate Greenfield. There. Okay, you guys got your shout-out. <laughs> All right, there you go. The Greenfield sisters. You guys you guys got your shout-out. From Hero Talk, you have peaked. Much much like Ben, I... I uh... <laughs> I'd I'd have to say uh, Mad Morgan was my favorite overall character. As good as good as Warwick yeah. Davis is is in in uh, in that role, uh, Mad Morgan's pretty hard to beat. And I love I love I love yeah I love the progression of the look. You know, he starts mm-hmm. out as a little Grima Worm Tom in the cage, mm-hmm. and, and then he's in the uh, the golden armor. And then at the end of the movie, in the final shot, he looks like a cross between like a dandy pirate and the lead singer of Extreme. Yeah. He, he just completely runs the gamut of look. In the final scene. <laughs> Where you finally do see Sorsha's father, he does make a final appearance in that scene. Yeah, never, cre- possibly even credited as such. If I, I haven't looked, but I'm assuming that. Yeah, that I, I didn't even look. I don't credits. know if he was in the credits or, or not. 
but yeah, that the old guy with the beard, you can watch it right now and look, that's that's supposed <laughs> to be Sorsha's father. He's the yeah. king of Tearsley. <laughs> so, there you go. He he did finally make some appearance in the movie. Got most of his part cut and his entire subplot completely wiped out. But he did finally show up. But yeah, I like I I love that that scene when they're in the, in the the sledding, which Warwick Davis hated. Uh, it's also the only part in this movie where I was very, very obviously able to pick out that there were stuntmen in, yes. in the wide shots. Yeah. Uh, in, in most any other scenes, it was very hard to tell, and I don't know how much of his own stunts those guys were doing, um, as how much that Mad Mardigan was doing and how much Warwick Davis was doing. But, um, yeah, in the sledding shots was the time where I could definitely tell that is not Val Kilmer and Warwick Davis and a baby. Did I? Two stuntmen and a doll. Did I steal your favorite scene then, or did you have uh, another one? No. My favorite scene is the final confrontation between General Kale and Mad Mardigan. Ah, yeah. It's it's still, to this day, I watched it, you know, for the first time in ten years, and I was just as enthralled with their fight with each other, and just how much effort it took to take Kale down, and just how (laughs) gruesome... him down. (laughs) Yeah, just how gruesome it was when it finally happened. And it it, just, it still it stays with me today as as my my favorite scene, and I I, I won't change it because I like it. So that leads us in. Now is the time on Hero Talk where we give this movie a score. And so I started with Jen last time. So Jeff, I'm starting with you. <clears throat> well, what uh, would you score this movie? I'm going to give this uh, four bags of dust of broken heart out of five. <laughs> four out of five. <laughs> Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I, I, I see the flaws that you did, and the Blu-ray lays some of them a bit more bare uh, than they would have before, as does just the clear light of day that one has mm-hmm. in adulthood. But um, I, I have to give it huge points for originality. It, it would be very easy for someone who didn't know anything about this movie to hear little people and fantasy, and it's just a Lord of the Rings ripoff, but it really tells its own story. Yeah. And yeah, there's... Some, I mean, every fantasy film's a bit derivative of something, but uh, it, it's a pretty unique story. And and um, if, if you know, there's only a handful of notable '80s sort of fantasy films, and if you haven't seen this one, uh, yeah. I think I think it's worth a watch. <laughs> I, I'll say, and I'll just kind of piggyback <laughs> off what you said. Uh, there's a lot of times where when when people are in the fantasy realm, and it's they're really they're they're either ripping off Tolkien or they're straight up doing Tolkien. Yeah. And Willow feels like a universe that's fantasy, but not in the Tolkien verse. You know, there's no right. elves with bows and arrows. Hmm. You know, you have you know yeah, so you have the Nelwins instead of the Hobbits. But at the same time, then you have the brownies, which is something completely new, and then the fairies were something. And you have the David the Gnome trolls, which I liked. And I, you know, I, I really think like it's fantasy, but it's not the same fantasy you've always seen. And I'm not a huge fantasy guy. I actually don't like Lord of the Rings, and I'm a huge Willow fan. And I think maybe because for me, my formative fantasy is Willow, so yeah. I, I don't like when people go to Tolkien all the time because I liked I like this world. And I mean, especially you can point out every flaw in the movie, and I think we've done a pretty good job. <laughs> pretty comprehensive. But yeah. the bottom line is, this movie is over two hours long, and it doesn't feel like it. And I watched it and was just as as engrossed when I watched it last night as I was when I watched it for the first time in 1989. So yeah, yeah. All right. So Jen, or to you, what would you score this movie? I'm going to give it eight brownies out of ten. Eight, you had to brownies, huh? Brownies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't. Just no, for you. Just, just for me. For you. Thanks. Eight brownies <laughs> out of ten. All right. Now, for me, I would have to give this movie four disappearing pig tricks out of five. 
I just I still like the movie. Every you have its flaws. I mean, it's I I really thought I'd be giving it a five. I I did, but when you're looking at it now, there are some parts that that are a little hard for me to get past. Um, however, like four is not a bad score, and no. the scores no. don't matter, and it's hero talk. So whatever. I love this movie. I think it's something that everyone should see at least once. Uh, the fact that you can get the the anniversary Blu-ray for five dollars, I think that's yeah. a steal. Uh, I if you can find it, absolutely pick it up, watch it, watch the special features. Um, I think I think you'll love this movie. It's 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 fun to watch all the way through. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, at the risk of bringing up pacing again. It is well paced. I don't know how. I, yeah. I don't have a better way to say it. It just it just yeah. works. There's not really slow. Bit when, when you can go for two hours and you have me the entire time because you know where to speed it up and where to slow it down. I mean that's yeah. that's something that you know 1988 George Lucas has over 1998 George Lucas. Yeah. For for one brief second, when all the Newlands are still together and they're carrying the baby, there's a section where I'm like, oh no, they're stopping. This is going to get slow. And then what do they do? They throw in a comedy vomit scene, and it just keeps yeah. everything moving. Yeah, you know? they do. I should just point out though that uh, that's not how babies vomit. <laughs> just just as somebody who's had their share of being puked on by a baby in in my in my in my life, that's that's not how it actually works. So there you go out there, Hero Talk listeners. That's a little something to look forward to when you become parents. You're going to get puked on and pooped on and peed on. So there you go. I'm, we'll end on a high note. All right. Hey, guys, uh, thanks very much for coming on and doing this with me. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I, I, always, I always like to revisit these movies of a particular era. It's yeah. just a lot easier for me. It's harder for Jen, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, two out of three. Uh, unfortunately, but you know what? It's It's – it, sometimes it's it's very good to have an excuse to go back and watch a movie. Like I did not have to go buy the special edition for Willow. I, I had it, and unfortunately, just because life gets in the way, it was still in the shrink wrap. And so a couple of days ago, I was very pleased to be able to cut it off and pop it in the Blu-ray player, and, I mean, just fell in love with the movie all over again. But, I mean, there's a couple little things, so it's probably, you know, not... not it's not Casablanca. It's not going to be a five out of five when you watch it decades and decades later. But it's still a very good movie, and everyone should see it. Anyway, yeah. on behalf of my panel, I just want to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of Hero Talk. If you have a movie that you want us to discuss or you want to join in our panel, you can email HeroTalk at Enthusiacs.com. If you want to check out more of our podcasts, our Let's Plays, articles, videos, and reviews, visit Enthusiacs.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're at youtube.com slash enthusiasts. And as always, we'll see you right back here on the next Hero Talk. But this was, I think this is probably more along the lines of equilibrium. I said equilibrium like that punk kid, and I'm not happy about that. Yeah. But (laughs) this is more along the lines of equilibrium. I got my stinger now for the end of the podcast. (laughs) 